Hello, and welcome to the Unique CPA with your host, Randy Crabtree. We're committed to creating a thriving community of accounting professionals who are physically and mentally healthy, fulfilled, and energized by their work. Our ultimate goal is to elevate the reputation of the accounting profession and vastly improve the lives of those in it. The Unique CPA is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Brian Amon. Brian is founder of Edge CPA, which is a firm where he consults with CPA leaders around the country to help enhance uh, uh, their tax practices and other portions of their business. Uh, Brian was formerly uh, the head of Tax Ops, which was a tax preparation firm that that was named one of the 5,000 fastest growing companies in the U.S. by Inc. Magazine. Uh, Brian himself was named Managing Partner Elite by Accounting Today. And Tax Ops uh, landed on the number one spot two years in a row for accounting today's best places to work. Sounds like Brian may know a little bit about, about running the practice. Brian, welcome to the Unique CPA. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, I'm glad that we uh, got this scheduled. Uh, you got some impressive background there with Manji Partner Elite and and accounting today, uh, best places to work. I like the Inc. Magazine. We were just listed on this that past year, and and I that just that. means you're doing something, building a nice practice there. Did you did you end up when you started CPA Edge? Did Tax Ops? Did you sell that? Did what what happened with that? Yeah, I sold my interest to the existing partners. We had we had talked to a couple of other firms at, at the time. Um, I wanted to move on and do what I'm doing today. And so, yeah, it, at the end of the day, we ended up uh, selling my interest to my existing partners. They're still they're still killing it. Yeah, actually, they were the number one best place to work by accounting today this past year. So wow. they're, they're doing great. Nice, nice. All right, and so now, why don't you give us a little bit of rundown of what CPA Edge is. When did you start this and, and what's the goal of the services you're providing there? Yeah, I started it in um, 2019 or towards the, in the latter part of 2019. And just to go back to the, the tax ops days, we had a good run. We were doing some pretty amazing things. The firm got a lot of recognition, as you mentioned, the Inc. 5000 and the best place to work. And by, and by the way, we were the best place to work at the same time we were on the Inc. 5000 list. And those, you know, two things, high growth and and great workplace culture typically don't go hand in hand. So I'm really proud of the combination there. Yep. But anyway, you know, I I hit the radar to some extent and started getting a lot of recognition and other firm leaders started reaching out to me and asking me to consult with them or asking me to mentor them. And uh, I started doing that. So I started working with some law firms and some specialty, uh, some specialty firms and some other CPA firms. And I was just having a blast from the consulting standpoint and, and coaching standpoint. And so I, I left to do that. And that's what CPA Edge is all about. I do coaching and consulting with other firms to help them be better firms, to help them provide a competitive edge. Okay. And is it, because I mentioned tax, is it is it tax mainly or is it overall practice management that you're consulting on? overall practice management, but I am a tax guy. Yep. You know, I've got 25 years of running tax departments and leadership positions in, in accounting firms. And so that's what I know. So it's not surprising. That's where a lot of my my work comes from, the tax departments. But uh, I coach firm leaders or department leaders, and I do tax transformation consulting for tax departments. So transformation is getting them from point A to point B and, and uh, helping tax departments be better tax departments. Yeah, which I think is, 
obviously a, a very important and needed, especially with the, the talent pool that uh, seems to be dwindling right now. But I think the firms that, that get more optimization out of the, and I'm stealing your word, optimization out of yeah, their tax you. practice <laughs> are, are, are going to... <laughs> are going to uh, outpace. It's funny. I uh, I deal with a lot of firms across the country, and and I may be generalizing, and maybe I just see it more. But boy, I just seem to see the technology optimization and tax practices happening more at the smaller firm level than the larger firm level. And it's maybe I just don't see it at the larger firm level. But do you have a, a comment on that? Have Have you seen? all levels be good at it or bad at it? Well, I mean, smaller firms just tend to be more nimble, right? Yes. And implementing change in a 50-person firm is different than implementing change in a 5,000-person firm. So it's just, it's a little bit easier. They can move a little faster. I think there's something to be learned there by looking at the smaller firms mm-hmm. and seeing how they're doing it. Part of the problem and part of the things that tax optimization addresses is it's just, you know, technology is fairly widespread now. You know, it's, a, it's available to the masses, and so it's pretty easy for smaller firms to have, you know, top technology implemented in their firm and be utilizing it. So it's a, it's, that's a great benefit. And it's also part of the problem. Well, let me, let me read a, a, a something that I read in your, what was the, it's a, what do you call it? A, a white paper, a pamphlet, a booklet, a book uh, the, uh, that you had sent me that's, um, do you not label it? I don't know. I don't know. The title on it says guide. Um, so it's a, there it's, you a go. it's, it's a guide and it's a, you know, the demise of the, of the tax department. It's supposed to be scary and get attention, but in the end of the day, it's a happy tale. Right. About how we right. can do things better and enhance uh, profitability. Yeah. And that's what I like to do with this. The podcast is generous, figure out ways we can be better as a profession. And and so what I, w- I want to read one thing that you had written in there, sure. uh, despite tremendous advance in, the, in technology, accountants continue to work as harder, harder, which I see as well, and make the same income, inflation adjusted, as they did 30 years ago. That seems insane to me. Is that, I mean, is that a, uh, I mean, obviously you've got the numbers to support that, but man, there's something needs to change if that's the case. Something needs to change if that's the case. So I did go, I did go and do the math on that at one point. Okay. I think the last few years are probably skewed, right? And so maybe the math got off track a little bit there, but I went back and looked at Rosenberg's for as far back as I could go. And, and pretty much it was an inflation factor on the on the mid-sized firm, not necessarily the top tier right. or the big four, but that five, ten million dollar firm, yeah, it was, you know, four percent, five percent average partner comp increases during this period, you know, of the birth of the internet and all these tools that right. came along with it. It's crazy. You know, we should be flipping our desks over and smashing our laptops. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. So the program then, and I mentioned this before, optimization, the program that you, you know, go in and install or talk about is you call it tax optimization. Um, right. Yes. Um, and then that, you know, consists of leveraging technology and, and differentiating yourself and decommodization of the uh, services and pricing structures and sales and marketing. I kind of want to just dig into this whole tax optimization and, and what it is that you do when you go into firms and how do you transform them from, you know, this making what they were 30 years ago and working harder to working less and making more. Yeah. So the tax, tax optimization is, it's a methodology. Um, and there's five, there's five pillars to it. And there's one that's noticeably missing. 
okay. and that's people because it's really you know people is such yep. a big topic it's on its own but tax optimization is just that it's a methodology for tax function effectiveness historically tax function effectiveness is all about people process and technology so if we carve people out and say that's a different category altogether we look at pro- we look at process and, and technology and i don't not necessarily in that order but we look at process and technology and I think there's a good argument to be made that process and technology should be looked at before people at this point. But historically, we said people process technology. So, yeah, doing doing things better, making sure that we're doing the right things and making sure we're doing the right things right. Decommoditization or differentiation is just making us look different, right? There's if we If there's no unique distinguishing characteristics of what we do, we're a commodity. And when we succumb to that distinction... You know, the only thing we have left to compete on is price at that point. Right. Right. So we want to get we want to get away from that at all at all costs. You know, that's what we're talking about is on the unique CPA, and that's some of the stuff that that you do at Trimerit. So how do we make our penguin look different than the other th- thousand penguins? You know, on the beach or iceberg or wherever penguins sit. So is this decommodization? Then is this more? I mean, would you define that as becoming an expert in a niche, or is that just one aspect of of differentiating yourself? It could be. Okay. Because that's what we are. We're a niche service, I guess. Yeah. It could be a deep industry niche. You know, if you're the gold standard of your particular, you know, the industry that you own, um, that's a great differentiator, right? That is a way to decommoditize. So you can do it through, through expertise, specific expertise, um, being deep in an industry niche. You can do it through, uh, bundling different services, Right. You can you can do it through your service delivery model. You can do it through your level of service, but you need to find a way to do it. You need to be you need to differentiate. So if you look at your competitors and I think we did a really good job at tax ops and they continue to do it. Who who are the firms that we're competing against? Where are we the same as them? So what are our equalizers? And those we're we're competing against very big firms. So those those things were lofty. There were nothing to, you know, to to sneeze at. But what are our equalizers Mm -hmm. and then what are our differentiators? And if you go through that thought process, well, number one, your differentiators can be positive or negative. So we're talking about positive differentiators, <laughs> we right. don't want negative differentiators. But what are our positive differentiators? And if we can't think of any, we better come up with some. And we better come up with some in the two markets that we compete in. We compete in the client market and we compete in the talent market. And you know, both are equally as important. I guess you could argue that the talent market is more important right now. But what are our differentiators, right? What sets us apart? And be clear about those. Being transformational, and and these are all interrelated. Being transformational, the easiest way to be transformational is to hit somebody in the wallet. Transforming someone or client is to you know leave them in a better place than when we found them. Right. Okay, so this is trans transforming your client or client yeah. experience or okay, all right, that makes sense. Employee experience. Yep. All right. Um, and so so one thing I talk about a lot is when you're talking about that, and that sounds like advisory somewhat to me, you know, maybe I'm confusing it, but, but you know, and, and I think you talk about this as well. I mean, really, anybody can be a reporter of taxes. I mean, the softwares are, 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 are so good these days um, that the reporting taxes is, and that's a commodity. I mean, I would, I would assume you'd agree, but that transformational going in and giving a client this path to whatever their goals are, uh, I think is kind of what you're saying. Am I on, am oh, I on track? Absolutely. And that's the easiest way to do it. You can do it through relationship or other things that, you know, education, 
You can help educate them. You can give them tools to help them run their businesses better or their lives better. There's lots of different ways you can be transformational. But the easiest way is to hit them in the wall, right? Save them taxes, minimize yep. risk. Reduce taxes. Like um, yeah. Alternative pricing strategies goes along with that. You know, how are we pricing these these things, um, especially when we get into, you know, bundling different services and bringing a, a non-commoditized value-added service in with a commoditized service and bundling. How do we price that? I don't like using the term value pricing because it just... People get scared. people get nervous or scared right. whenever they hear that. Well, let's unpack that a little. Then, what are we? Yeah. I mean, because you know, when we're looking at pricing strategies, you know, value. I won't. I use the word. Sorry, <laughs> value one. You know, fixed fee one, hourly one, uh, subscription pricing, three tier pricing. Are you all of the above, or is there a specific thing, or is it just depend on the client? How do you look at pricing? I think it depends on what we're doing and what we're trying to do. So there's an interrelation between all of these things. And then marketing and sales has to weigh in on that and say, yes, we can, you know, we can, uh, we can get our heads around, around that and sell it that way. But um, alternative pricing strategies, going back to the bundling example, and this is McDonald's Happy Meal, Mm -hmm. right? They, you could buy a cheeseburger and French fries and a Coke separately, or they put it together for you. And I don't know, they call it a Happy Meal or Value Meal or I try, I try to avoid it because it doesn't make me happy. <laughs> but, you know, then they come up with a, a bundled price, right? That that drives buying behavior, right? They can sell more of the three of those if they bundle it together and give it to you at a price that's more conducive. So those kinds of things, it really depends on, you know, how are you trying to decommoditize? What are you doing to be transformational? And let's figure out how to price it so that we drive the right behavior pricing strategy is all about driving buying behavior <laughs> right so that we can sell more of something at a higher price so more of something at a higher price so is that always the goal we want to sell more or do we just want to become more efficient in some cases and maybe sell the same with less people less expenses or is it often is everybody on that growth mode we want to do more um i don't know that i think growth is kind of um like a, a dirty word at this point, <laughs> right? Because of the talent issues. So right, growth is tough. Right. So I think a lot of the focus right now is, yeah, how can we how can we provide more value so that we can generate higher fees per client and yep. uh, price better without necessarily doing more volume? So when you look at it, is there matrix? Uh, I was just popped in my head here that people look at and because i've heard things like okay you know what's our revenue per employee or what's our you know gross profit or what's uh, is there one aspect of that you think it makes more sense to track than another that <laughs> i think is cha- that's changing yeah i think it's changing as we speak because i was always a big fan of revenue per professional that makes a lot of sense to me right well i think now we have a talent shortage and you know they stopped making cpas at some point <laughs> so how do we do that? We have to get not more administrative support. We have to figure out ways to do things with non-traditional resources. So that kind of jacks up your revenue per professional statistic, right? Well, yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it could be revenue per client, revenue, uh, revenue per professional, revenue per employee will probably be a better metric as we diversify our, our workforce a little bit. Um, but I think that is where you get into What's, you know, what's the vision? What are you trying to accomplish? Where are you trying to go with this thing? And let's marry that to the right metrics that help you run the business and get there. 
All right. So tax optimization, then, you know, we touched on pieces of it uh, so far. You want to uh, dig a little deeper or, or give us a summary of that and then just see how we implement these types of things? Sure. Yeah. So, the, again, there's, you know, there's, there's five things in the middle that all come together to make an effective tax department that is highly differentiated, decommoditized, being transformational, using pricing strategies to maximize, maximize profits. And uh, makes it an easy sell from a marketing and sales standpoint. Can we create interest around this? Yes, you know, yes, we can. Um, can we, you know, do we have a sales advantage when we do this or a recruiting advantage? You know, yes, yes, we do. And the things that hold these uh, these five things together are you know, leadership. You know, strong leadership has to exist at every aspect of this. Strong culture has to exist at every aspect of this and relationships. You know, in, in culture, we have our overall firm culture, but there's the micro culture. So if we want to be a highly technological firm, we need to have a culture of technology, right? We have to have mm-hmm. someone that's taking the lead on that, that is, you know, looking at the way we use technology that becomes part of our review process that, to make sure that we're doing that correctly, that they're going to the user conferences or coming back. And reporting, you know, re- reporting back to the team, there needs to be a deep culture in each of these micro areas to support it. Yep. The, uh, you know, the process for doing this, I mean, this is the model that I use from a, from a consulting standpoint, and it can be as holistic as someone wants to go. So if they want, if a firm wanted to look at just one of these things, you know, that's fine. The holistic approach is let's come in and do a review of how you score in all of these areas. And we can see where, what, you know, where the biggest opportunity for lift is. Yep. And, and, and firms can go do this themselves. They can download my white paper from the uh, from the website, and there's a, a questionnaire within the white paper where you can just do it manually and score yourself. I, w- I would suggest that you know if you do it, have more than one person in your firm do it. Um, right? You might because have different it, views. <laughs> yeah, you might have different views, and there's a lot of power in those different opinions. Yeah, and and uh, and how we look at things or how we see things, um, which is you know just great fuel for discussions uh or food for discussion or you can do it online um there's a link there you can you can do it online and um if you do that i'll, I'll get back to you comment at cpa.com right cpaedge.com yes. okay all right perfect yeah. um let me ask you real quick on then so you said they can they you know we can kind of pick and choose things we want to work on um but these things you said company culture being one of the things that you're going to go on or is that some i mean do you advise or analyze or score on culture that's an aspect of things you're doing with cpa edge or tax optimization i do do. yeah i think that you know that's really important again the macro oh yeah what's the the firm culture and you know the micro what's our culture at these individual levels that we just talked about right and so is there a methodology just to analyze culture or a way that you you advise on increasing the uh the uh, positive aspects of the culture yeah and and it's always you know where are we today yep. so that's you know discovery what do we what do we think it is what do we think our culture is it's, and it's fun to you know talk with leaders and what do, you, what do you think the culture is and then you go and have individual conversations and you dig in a little bit there's no there's no um not that i'm aware of anyway there's no scientific way to measure culture it's culture is um you know uh Culture is like, uh, you know, brand. It's hard to get your hands around it. Brand is what someone else uh, feels when they see your logo or when they see your name. 
Um, it's hard to hard to measure that. Culture is mm-hmm. kind of the same the same thing. So it's really you know conversations. How do people feel about it? There was a it was a, an article in McKinsey, and it talked about um, businesses and their business strategy and business leaders. Like eighty percent of business leaders thought their company had a very clear, distinct strategy, but only eight percent of their customers felt the same way. Yep. And most employees couldn't articulate what that strategy was. So there's typically a there's typically a divide between what we think it is and what it is. And then once we understand, you know, point A, what it is, point B, what do we want it to be, we can figure you know, we can figure out how to get from point B from point A to point B. Yep. You know, I feel we have a very good culture. Uh, we don't lose people. I think that's at least an indicator. Yeah. Um, I think in the last three years, one person's voluntarily left maybe in the last, in the 15 years in business, we're 60 people now. I think maybe we've had five or six voluntarily leave. So I think that's an aspect, but I can't define it. I mean, I, I feel like we have fun and we treat everybody respectful and we let people have their opinions and, and be able to, you know, whatever, you know, they have an idea, boom, everybody's going to listen. I think that's it. But again, how do you define it or measure it? I don't know. It's, you know, your culture is kind of your informal operating system. Right. Right. It's a, you know, it's this informal or unspoken set of rules and beliefs that we share that drives our behavior. It's hard. It's hard to measure, but that is a good measurement. I mean, employee turnover is a great measurement. Client turnover is a great measurement. Right. Right. If those things are high, it doesn't necessarily mean that the culture is bad, but it means something's going on and it could be the cultural issue. And the other thing we've done too, and I think this is important and you said it already, is don't don't just rely on what you think it is. Let's see what everybody thinks it is. And so we've done anonymous surveys on different things. You know, people can put their opinions in anytime. We did one on um and I do a presentation on mental health i do a lot these days and and so we did a whole anonymous survey on how we do as a company with mental health and and you know those types of things i think it's important to get like you said to get everybody's uh, thoughts on what's happening and not just what you think is happening and that was one way we figured out how to do it is that something you've you've looked at as anonymous surveys or surveys in general or you just go out to talk to each employee I do informal surveys by talking. I think I can get a lot from a 30-minute conversation with uh, some people in the group and get a really good feel for for what's going on. Um, so, it, yeah, I do it that way. You can, you can do it. Surveys, um, I struggle with surveys a little bit because typically when I get one, it means something's wrong. Right? <laughs> sending me a survey. <laughs> there's like a negative connotation to it. So I try to stay away from surveys myself. I mean, there's, there's, there's value there. I like net promoter. I, you know, I don't want any phone calls from, some, <laughs> from uh, clearly radio <laughs> companies, but, but you have to do it in a way that's, you know, where you're really getting, uh, you're really digging for positive feedback as well as negative. It's easier to give negative feedback. So right. I, you know, I want to hear both. Yep. All right. Um, and then I want to back up if we can. I'm sorry, I'm jumping sure. around here. But one of the first things you mentioned is leveraging, you know, process and technology. And I, I'd like to dig deeper on that because technology advancements have been so tremendous. Um, and I see a lot of firms I deal with. I see firms that are embracing technology and just becoming so much more efficient. I assume they're beating that uh, metric or whatever we said at the beginning where you're making the same you were 30 years ago, even with new technology. I see they're doing it, but then I see firms that just uh, resist it 
And for me, I think there's two things that are resistant. One, they just don't understand it. And so let's just keep doing it the way we're doing it. And two is, wow, there's just going to take time to implement that. And we don't have time right now because we're so busy. And in reality, they're going to save time overall. And so are those aspects you're seeing with technology and how are you seeing yes. <laughs> yes. You see. <laughs> All right. You, you see. <laughs> you see both. But I wanted to take it as an opportunity to point out the correlation between some of these things because if you really embrace technology, but you don't change your pricing strategy, you end up with that situation where, despite great, you know, tremendous advances in technology, we're making the same or less than we did thirty years ago. Right? You've got to. If you're going to be able to do things more efficiently, you've got to revise your pricing strategy to maximize your price profit and not give it away to your client. But I think there's there's certain firms that are just embracing technology and they want to automate everything that they can possibly automate. And there's good reason to. You know, why why do we have to do the heavy lifting if it's not necessary? I can be more transformational to my clients. Mm-hmm. I can I can do a lot of different things to provide more value to the to the team and, and to the clients. If I'm not doing the heavy lifting, it's kind of like, you know, lifting with the legs and not from the back. Let's let, you know, let's let technology do the heavy lifting. Um, and there's a lot there. There's, there's really a lot there that we can do between first mile automation and last mile automation and everything in between. Uh, it, it, you know, what's happened over the past, you know, five years has just been absolutely amazing. And you kind of have to do it. Mm-hmm. You really have to do it. If you want to be competitive, in both markets, talent market and client market, you've got to do it. You've got to keep up. You've got to find a way to keep up. Oh, I agree completely. You're going to have to, especially with the talent market for one, um, like you just said. But if you don't, you're going to get passed by. And if you if you do, and you just said it as well, you get to concentrate your time on these higher-end advisory transformation type services that your clients are looking for. Whether you know it or not, this is what your clients want. They don't want the reporting of taxes. Anybody could do that. They want you to be that relationship with them where you're going to come in and you're going to help this business be successful. And so, yeah, if if, if, if you listen to this and you're not embracing technology at this point, you better fast because you fall behind quickly. Sorry, I went on my rant there. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's that's perfect. I think that there's, you know, aside from the heavy lifting, there's just quality issues, right? We're, as humans, we are prone to mistakes, mm-hmm. right? And if there's something that can be automated, it should be. Yep. And we went, we went through this exercise in, in my firm at one point. I was, I was pretty technologically savvy and I was walking through the whole process with everyone. And, you know, do, you, do we use this aspect of our technology? Like, no, we don't, we don't use that. Why not? Well, it doesn't really take any time. How much time does it take? It probably takes 30 minutes. Okay. Do we use this? No, we don't use that. Well, why don't we use it? It's just, you know, some, man, some manual uh, some manual entry. It doesn't really take any time. Anyway, by the time we're done with this process, we came up with about three hours of stuff that didn't take any time at all to do it manually. Right. And we have we have more room for, for error. Yep. That's where that culture of technology comes in. Like, no, it's it, even if it doesn't save us any time this year, it will next year. It'll improve quality. Right. If someone else has to come in to do it, you know, we'll have, we'll have a good trail. We utilize, we, we leverage technology to the fullest extent. That is just what we do. That is part of our culture. Yeah. 
Yep. And it has to happen. You can take your 50 hours this year and you're going to save 200 the next 10 years each year or whatever. And it's just worth it. And people just see the 50 this year that's going to take them to do this. Yeah. Well, I will say from a, from an implementation of technology, though, um, you know, if you look on the on the tax side, if you don't have someone that has carved out some time to make sure that they're focused on the firms are focused on this all year round, it doesn't happen because otherwise, you know, you, you get into the year. Busy season is, you know, right on the horizon. Next thing we know, it's going to be October 16th. If we wait until October 16th to maximize the use of our tech technology or the leverage of our technology, we have, you know, 10 weeks left in the year. You take out vacation or holiday, you have six weeks left. It's not happening. Right. That's, that's not enough time. It's got to be chunked throughout the year to make sure that it happens. And that that's actually... That's actually the thing I see a lot too, is that what you just said, the deadlines, people are just, that's what they're concentrating on is the deadline, the deadline, the deadline. They're not looking at this future and what we need to be and how we need to be more efficient. Um, and, and, and sometimes what I see is that the county firms don't look at their firm as a business. It's just, we're here to help people. You know, this is what we do. And they lose to say the fact that they need to make this business more profitable for them and their employees as well. Well, I think, um, I don't like the term practice. You know, we still, a lot of firms still look at it as, as a practice. Right. It's a business yeah. that needs to be run by a business. I don't know if you can see it back there. So I, above the guitar on my wall, that's a Norman Rockwell beating the deadline. Okay. I can see it. I can't and tell. So I look at that every, <laughs> yeah. So every day when I walk in here, I look at that and that's like, that's what I'm fighting against. Right. Right. <laughs> right. That is what I'm, that is what I'm fighting against. Yep. All right. So then, then with tax optimization, obviously the whole goal is to just make people uh, get people more efficient work less make more be happier be more valuable keep your be more valuable be a valuable firm uh, be a sustainable firm be a transferable firm if that's what you want because all these things uh, uh, w- would tie into it so yeah this tax optimization program you 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 put in place i think sounds awesome i think everybody should be looking at something like this there's another thing that you talk about as well which is the difference between coaching and consulting do you want to expand on that sure yeah yeah so i i do i do coaching and i do consulting and i do this thing in the middle that i call a coach ultant <laughs> all right which is a little bit of a combination of both but 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 coaching coaching is about the individual it's about the person and it's about helping that person be you know the best them that they that they can be so it's about their you know their personal goals even though I'm a business coach, so but I do have personal goals in business. What am I trying? To, what am I trying to get out of this? And you get to the mindset of the my firm, my business is a vehicle to help me get to the place that I want to go. So as a coach, I'm there to ask questions. I'm not there to tell them anything necessarily. I'm there to ask questions, help them define that. And it's hard for people, mm-hmm. and I think it's hard for accountants to really get into the personal goals because we're so used to. You know, here's my revenue goal. Here's my charge hour goal. Great. Got it. Check, check. But what is it that you really want to accomplish? What do you want to get out of this thing? Is your career by design or, you know, by default? We can, we can go in a couple of different directions. We can, default is I'll do whatever you ask me to do, right? If you want me to transfer to a different office, you want me to go do something else. Great. Uh, you know, what? I'll go with the flow. I'll, I'll go about this thing by default and, I'll end up in some place eventually. Maybe it's not a bad place, but it's not what I really intended. Yep. 
and I can be very driven and I can chase every promotion and every dollar and I can switch firms because someone's got a better you know place for me and I can drift just as equally by being too driven. So we really want to be intentional. What's the design for me? My business is a vehicle to help get me there. I'm not necessarily there, there to answer questions. I'm there to ask those questions and then provide accountability, timelines, you know, help keep them focused. That's coaching. Consulting is I have a specific expertise that I can help you with from a business standpoint, tax optimization, mm-hmm. um, team alignment, you know, those kinds of things. I do have specific expertise. Now, as a, as a consultant, I'm telling, I'm providing answers. You hired me to do that. And then there's the coach Alton in between. I don't, I find that it's very hard to do consulting and implement a consulting project without coaching yep. the sponsors of that project. Right. It's also very hard to coach somebody when you have been there and you have done it before to like, you know, if they're really stuck, Hey, just let me, let me just give you the answer. Right. Right. <laughs> or maybe I can give you, a, maybe I can give you a hint here. So that's the coach Alton. And that's where the, those two things merge. Both are really important. But one's about the individual, one's about the the firm initiative or the project. Yeah. All right. I think that's awesome. And I, I never looked at it that way. But when you're talking about the coaching, I'm like, okay, if you're only listening, then what are they getting out of it? But that's where the cause coach Alton comes into play, correct? Yeah. Well, it's awareness. You know, by someone just asking curiosity questions, you create awareness like, hmm, why do I think like that? You know, right. what do I what do I believe to drive that behavior? You know, just digging I, in digging in the dirt. Yep. I, I could have used uh, a coaching, I think, a while back. It, it took me a while to figure out what I really wanted. But man, when I found that out the last five years, I just have so much fun. It's not, I, I realized I don't have to run a business. I can start a business. I don't enjoy running the business. And it took me a while. I figured those things went together and they don't. Um, and man, that was a huge transformation for me. Well, I think, you know, there's, there's, some people who are very good at getting something off the ground. I think I tend to be one of those people. Yep. Yep. You get something off the ground. Once it's in orbit, yep. I, you know, someone else can take it at that point. Oh, I agree completely. Yeah. Pretty good at getting something off the ground. I'm really good at preventing it from hitting the ground if it happens to yep. be going that direction. But once it's in orbit, it's like, but that's playing to your strengths. Oh, yeah. right? And that's the other thing, your strengths and your passions. And my passion's not KPIs and process and procedure and my passion is uh well these days my passion is this you know i'm just talking about the profession and educating on the profession and yeah it took me a while to realize that i could just do the things i like rather than uh, thinking i had to be all to everybody so i think that's important but i could where were you 15 years ago when i needed the coach i was, I was doing tax <laughs> <laughs> i was, was running a tax firm 15 years ago Darn it, Brian. All right. No, it worked out fine. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I think it's about time we we wrap up. Any uh, And I'll ask you a couple final questions. But before I do that, any any bow you want to wrap around the conversation we had here? Uh, find, ways, find ways to be different. Find ways to be unique. Right? It, make sure you understand very clearly what your equalizers are and what your differentiators are and, and leverage those in the talent market and um, in the client market. And if you want to banter about that, give me a call. I'm happy to have those conversations. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to be different. 
I agree. I agree completely. And I, I think that's very important. All right. Before I ask for contact information, there's one final question that every guest has to be answer um, is, all right, great. We talk about business and all that, but what are your, what are your passions outside of work? What do you enjoy doing? What's your free time spent doing? And, and what do you, what do you, I guess, what are you most passionate about? I like to get outdoors. I live in Colorado. Um, you know, it's just an amazing place to explore. So, uh, if it's on, yeah, if it's on skis, hiking boots on a bike, uh, I've got a Polaris side-by-side razor. I love getting out in the desert and that thing and just tearing it up, mm. just, you know, being outdoors. My wife of 33 years, uh, is here. She enjoys the same thing. So we, you know, we enjoy being out together doing those things and my kids do the same. So I'm in the right, I found the right place. I didn't grow up here, but I found, I eventually found the right place to do what I want to do. Where did you grow up? New York. And I, I, and I never had an accent. I, I had to leave because I never had an accent. But... <laughs> they kicked you out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they did. <laughs> All right. What part of New York? I was in the suburbs, Rockland County. Yeah. So the most recognizable town is Nyack. That's where uh, okay. Roseanne lives or somebody. I don't know. <laughs> but um, and... <laughs> it's Hudson River, Tappan Sea Brave. You go across the river, you're in Westchester. You go uh, south from there, you're in Manhattan. So close enough to see the city, but okay, but far enough away. Okay, and then how long in Colorado now? Thirty years since ninety-two. Oh wow! All right, all right. And are your kids there? You you mentioned the kids. Are they in that area they're, as well? They're both in Colorado. My daughter lives in in Denver. We live in Grand Junction, which is out on the Utah border near Palisade, where the wineries are. Yeah, um, I've been there. Yeah, yep. and uh, she's she works remotely, so she's here quite a bit. Okay. All right. Nice. Nice. All right. Um, then the last thing then is, yeah, this is interesting stuff. This is things people need. Um, if anybody wants to get more information, find out about you, get your, uh, that, uh, what did we call it again that you sent me? The, the guide, um, where would they get a hold of you or get this information? Yep. So cpaedge.com, the link to the guide is at the bottom of the homepage. So it's very easy to find. I'm pretty easy to find. It's Brian with an I at cpaedge.com. Hit me on LinkedIn. I think it's LinkedIn, whatever, be aiming, but pretty easy to find there as well. Yep. I looked at you this morning. You're there. So I can vouch the fact you're on LinkedIn. So. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think I think this is, is awesome. I think that tax optimization is something everybody should at least look at themselves, but but get more information from you. Go get the guide. I mean, it is it is something where I'm just... I'm talking with people all the time and just seeing this tax transformation happening and it is, you don't want to be left behind. So I think it's very important to look at. Yeah, the tax, I mean, the tax department is one of the best areas we have to create difference as a firm. My, my biased opinion. Uh, I agree with you completely. So I, if I'm biased too, we're biased together. Um, well, again, Brian, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. I appreciate the opportunity. Yep. And uh, glad to have the time to sit down with you. Thank you for joining us today on The Unique CPA. You can find the show notes for today's episode and learn more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting app. And join us next time for more expertise and insights on The Unique CPA. Professionalproductions.net